Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Welcome to the Warrior You Podcast with your host, Bram Connolly. Join Bram as he uncovers what is to be a modern-day warrior on and off the battlefield, covering such topics as human performance, emotional intelligence, resilience, mental toughness, epigenetics, neuroplasticity, philosophy, and much, much more. Warrior You, it's the performance advantage. And don't forget to check out Mentors for Military Podcast. My guest today is also one of the mentors on the Warrior U website, Anthony White. Anthony was an RAAF officer and is the founder and owner of a company called Brother Shave. You might have heard of it. Anthony has some great insights into mental health. He is honest and upfront about his own journey and the impact that this has had on his personal life. He also believes passionately in the product that he's created. He's disrupted what is a huge industry that preys on a basic necessity to many of us guys an industry designed to take your money. He's made a life necessity more cost-effective, and not only that, but the profits his company makes goes back into the wider support community for veterans. We talk about service, operations, combat, courageous restraint, and PTSD. I hope you enjoy it. So my story probably starts back to when I was 9 or 10, Mm. uh, and I wanted a skateboard. Right. Uh, the best skateboard that was going. I wanted, you know, the best, the best wheels. I wanted the, what are they called? The trucks. I wanted the best trucks on there as well. Yeah. And my mother said that she wasn't going to buy it for me at all. Right. That I needed to work for, you know. But the difference between my mother and a lot of other ways that parents do it is that mum said to me that we were going to start a business rather than me working and you know sweeping the sweeping the floors. So she loaned me $60. We went down to the flower markets every Saturday morning, got up at uh, Sparrow's Fart. I went and bought all the flowers. We came back. I repackaged all the flowers, and then I went around and I door knocked until I sold every one of those bunches of flowers. And that was my business. And I was taught there to repay my debts as soon as possible. Mm. I had to pay for expenses like petrol. And I also had to pay for all the logistics that led up to it and do the work. Your mum is a legend. Uh, and from there, I think that I just took, you know, I, my mind just started yeah. ticking in entrepreneurial approaches. My second business, I used to go in and steal all the card, Pokemon cards that all the teachers took off the kids and I'd resell them back to the kids. Okay. I think we went from you having an entrepreneurial spirit to <laughs> Grand Fair Flowers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, you know, my mind just, it just started ticking like that. That's and, pretty uh, funny. Yeah. And I, I guess, you know, going through high school, I always had that thought that I'd go into the military. I hated the idea of sitting behind an office. Ironically, that's uh, that was pretty much what my bit, my job was in the military anyway. It's amazing uh, how many people say that 
They always knew they were going to join the military. Guys like you and me, we always knew, but I don't know what I'm going to do after that, but I always knew I was going to join the military. You know, I think there's certain personality traits there. You know, there's the people that love the adventure. You know, the military, they like to play on the idea of people, you know, going on to the, going into adventure and all the rest of it. The, the reality is that's what, it's what everyone wants, you know. So it, I think it really does speak volumes to them doing things like that. And extreme personalities tend to gravitate towards extreme things. So Yeah, yeah that's cool. Absolutely. So Brother Shave. Yeah, so Brother Shave, I was over in Afghanistan and I think I was sitting on picket one night and, and you, the best ideas tend to come you know, when you're bored and sitting on picket. Oh, I've read that somewhere. Yeah, and I, uh, and I just started thinking, you know, well, how do, you, how do we actually raise money for veteran projects and charities? You know, and I actually probably didn't have too much of an idea about how much money had actually already been raised for, for veteran projects and charities through RSLs. And I thought, oh, well, maybe there's a gap there. And uh, I thought, well, what's, what, do we, what do we do, you know, daily? What can we, what can we sort of get money from and it was razors you know we, we wake up every morning and we're, we're forced to shave to to adhere to a policy and i thought well if i can get a hold of some razors and start selling them and then use every sale as a, as a way of of supporting veteran projects and charities then that might just work so i read the barefoot investor when i was over in, in afghanistan i came back and i invested my money into the the approaches that barefoot investor did you know with compounding interest and i was uh, i invested at a really fortunate time for me and I achieved what I wanted to over a 10-year period in the matter of two years mm. and I guess that gave me a leg up to then you know go back to that idea okay. so yeah so from yep. there I uh yeah we just went straight into brother shave I started with a friend who decided to leave just because he, he wanted to go and achieve other things and yeah that was that was pretty much where it started yeah and mate I've seen firsthand you know your generosity you know, giving money back. You know, some of that was to a, a friend of mine who was, you know, injured quite seriously in in Dubai in a motorcycle accident. Yeah, and I've seen seen other examples of that. So you certainly put your money where your mouth is, and even even paying money, not just to soldier on, but to individuals like that before you've even really paid off the, you know, quite incredible <laughs> website that you have, which is <laughs> a whole other story, I know. But it is an amazing website. I'm, I spent. Three hours the other night looking through that goddamn website just because I was so jealous of it. Like, how can I optimize mine to look anything like that? I can't, not without paying the money you paid, which was a lot. But, yeah, I think that just speaks volumes of your generosity. And so, you know, it really is a, a military operation, isn't it, Brother Shave? It's got full it's, – it's got structure to it. There's supply channel. There's the four, the four Ps of plumbing marketing involved in it. Yeah, you know, absolutely. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a big undertaking, and it yeah. I mean, it's, I'm surprised when I put something out there the other day about it, just how many people are actually subscribing to it already. It was quite impressive the people that were giving me feedback. Most of them raffies, but uh, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, they're paid off. Well, they've got a shave. <laughs> yeah. No. Well, we got a we've got a couple of hundred subscribers. Mm, it's good quality. And uh, then we also get additional funds that come through with, you know, the deployment packs, which are, you know, one-off six-month purchases. Mm. I hope my brother's um, not listening to this because I'm going to buy him a subscription for Christmas. I reckon sorry, that's a, that again. I hope my brother's not listening because I'm actually going to buy him a subscription for Christmas because I think it's yeah, awesome. it's one of those things where if, if you're buying it as a present for someone, it's even better because they're, they're you know, you're donating to charity and they're getting something, you know, and then you don't have to think about buying them socks. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I guess the uh, the charity side of things... I can things, see your mind ticking over there, mate, going, hang on a second, I can leverage this. Yeah, well, I've, I actually have already, you know, especially when Christmas and that comes up, we yeah. usually get a, you know, a fair few sales that, that mm. come through there, getting it for the old man, you know, there's... Mm. Sometimes getting it for your parents is pretty pretty difficult, so people just go, ah, oh, racist is good enough. There you go. Yeah, I guess with the donations, just going back to when you were alluding to that before, we, yes, we do do the the dollar, you know, to soldier on for for every uh, every sale. But what I found, and especially one of the things that that really highlighted with your mate was that, you know, there are a lot of options out there to support veterans, but as part of that, there's a there's a lot of bureaucracy and. Yeah, someone that's gone through the mental health issues, you know, trying to deal with those layers of bureaucracy is incredibly stressful. It's difficult, and that's quite often why you have to get other people to do it. And I thought, well, there there is a gap there for for people that they they don't have the ability to go and do these things. And if I can just if I can remove that and just give them a little leg up, then you know I've completed. I don't like um, I don't like the term mental health anymore. I, I'm. I wanted to talk to you about that because I, I know I know what you I know that the, the issues that that you had yourself. For me, it's not health; it's fitness. It's like you can you can get bad mental fitness in a couple of ways. You can have something traumatic happen, which can knock it around. I mean, I associate it the same way I do physical fitness, you know. Or you can let it bloom and lapse, or you can go and focus on the wrong thing, which can fuck you up. You yeah. Know? So for me, it's like. I don't know. Is it? Is there a when people talk about mental health? Do you think that's counterintuitive, or do you think we should reframe it and, and same way? Because we're all fitness. We understand fitness, physical fitness, yeah. you know. And so we should look at the brain. You know, the brain can be unfit. I don't Absolutely. Know. Maybe I'm maybe I'm just talking smack. I don't know. No, I, I think there is merit in in what you're saying, and it it, it brings me to a, a a thought process that I've had, and it talks about. You know the Are You Okay Day? Yeah, it's a very you know it's a if you read How to Win Friends and Influence People, they talk about you know to get a conversation started. It's not so much saying Are you you know how are you because mm. you always get a cliche answer back. It's mm. you, you have to give a direction uh, mm. and it's Tell me how you are. Mm. And I really thought you know maybe we could have rephrased that and you, you'd probably get a, a better a better input or sorry a, a better output. I guess you would say. Yeah, uh, I know. I, I I do agree with that, but I've got to say, you know, I made a mind's part of the R R U O K movement, I guess you'd call it. And some um, Steve sure. Willis, Commando Steve, he's a great ambassador for them. I think Tara Pitt as well, actually, off Survivor. But the the thing with it is, at least it's something where we weren't talking Absolutely. about anything ten years ago. Absolutely. You know, and and part of it is most people will just say, "Yes, yeah, I'm yeah. fine, mate. Give it a break." You know, Absolutely. Where I mean, you know, we look at look at you know a friend of mine who committed suicide last year, and you know from from the commando regiment probably won't go down that path of mentioning names and stuff. But he, you know, he was he was an integral part of welfare within the unit. So he, yeah. he himself was probably saved people's lives just by being the great bloke that he was. You know, and then Absolutely. and then yeah. Yeah, so um, I, I, you know, I think you're right. You know, alluding back to where you were speaking about fitness, you yeah. know, what we know is physical fitness, and mm. and it's about being brilliant at the basics. And one of those 
one of those basic things that you need to do for your own headspace is actually allocate time, mm. you know, to support your own headspace. And I think, you know, especially within the military or, you know, any any other high-stress job, you know, it, it, it doesn't actually need to be a high-stress job, but if the person is high-stressed because of an accumulation of issues, yeah, uh, if they're not allocating time for themselves, whether it's a meditation, whether it is doing fitness, whether it is, you know, talking to people and, and getting their own perspectives or other people's perspectives, then, you know, it, it's going to build up. Yeah. Absolutely. I think everyone needs a release and it's important to figure out what that release is. Mm. I quite like doing this, talking to people, podcasting, doing something sort of technical, you know, using my time but I, and holidaying. You've got to make money to do that. Um, yeah, absolutely. Writing books, quite cathartic actually when, you can, when, you, when someone pisses you off on a plane you know, you find out their name and kill them in the next book's easy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, you've got a talent for writing. I don't know, uh, I've got some good men. I've, I've probably got the gift of the gab. I've got some good mentors. Uh, I think the only military skill that I got out of, of my career was probably being an expert in red pen, uh, and that was just so I could get someone else to write everything for me. So I wasn't about that. So I've got this theory that, resilience perhaps is genetic and that you can train mental toughness. I've got no academic background in any of this, but I'm <laughs> still going to pursue it. Maybe a PhD one day in this, I don't know. Yeah. But my understanding is I've seen really tough people who are, you know, who aren't resilient after the fact. And I've seen some people who are really resilient, but it only shows later after they've already broken. It's a strange it's a strange juxtaposed position. Mm. So I'm starting to think now that what we do in special forces, for instance, is we select a lot of people who are actually uh, very resilient and and they're intrinsically motivated, so they're mentally tough anyway. So we don't get to see a large proportion of people in the wider army who might be one or the other or neither. And so, you know, some sometimes I think you can also – the resilience part of it is probably genetic, I think. But there's times when maybe you're not as mentally tough as what you could be, in which case you have to then leverage off either the resilience that you do have or you don't have. Do you know what I mean by that? That makes sense. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I, um, I'm not too sure about the – I think genetics would have a part to play, absolutely. But I also think that the environment that people grow up in, you know, mm. would, would, would also have to, you know, overlay that too. Mm. I remember reading a, uh, a book, Thinking Fast and Slow, and one of the quotes in there was, what's normal to a spider is chaos to a fly. Mm. Uh, and I really sort of, I walked away from that thinking about that in terms of resilience. And I think that if if people are, are coached, you know, if they're shown, uh, one of the one of the quotes on your website was that it takes a warrior to raise a warrior. And I think that there is, there is so much truth in that, that people need to be guided towards what they're doing. And if they're not guided or if they're sort of, you know, walking around in the dark, that's going to... Uh, you know that's gonna that's gonna have a play on their resilience for sure. Yeah, I'm but, I'm never so proud as to say that I've got all the answers, and I you know I have mentors, and I know you have mentors, and and I'm a mentor to other people, and if I don't know the answer, I'll go and find it. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. It's the whole resilience thing's sort of been on my mind lately, particularly because I came back from Afghanistan, funnily enough, without PTSD. And I, I used to search for a little bit of meaning about that and why the guys did as well as they did. And I, I think, and I've talked to some friends about this since, I think there's something to, and emergency services do this really well. 
let's create structure for chaos. So let's project chaos into our lives in the form of a training exercise. Here's the chaos. Now let's create a structured response to that and let's apply it to the chaos, which removes emotion, which means that you're not emotionally invested in the moment. You're going through a checklist, which I think is an immunization to to stress and an immunization perhaps to PTSD. Now, I've had some psychologists and psychiatrists, for instance, say, yeah, that's 100% what it is. And I've had others go, no, you can't inoculate, just can't be done. And oh, yeah. yeah, I don't know. I think control is a is a big one. I guess for me, uh, I don't know if I, I told you the, the issue that I had that really played on my mind and, and the flow and effect it had over the next couple of years was actually I pulled my weapon on who I thought was a suicide bomber. Mm. You know, you're giving, act, acting the part, very nervous, scared, you know, talking, trying to get us out into a location. Mm. And when- I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When I pulled my weapon on him, a lot of things went through my mind. And one of them was, how often have I actually shot this weapon? Mm. Uh, and how often have I trained mm. you know, to shoot this weapon? And then also bridge that that point of of decision making to actually pull that trigger. Yeah, and you know it. it oh, mate, that re- that wrecks you for a long time. Got Absolutely, yeah. and uh, yep. and one of the biggest things that I had from that is mm. that I actually remember pressing up against the Hesco barrier, mm. thinking that you know if he blows, then that's going to be my limbs, and uh, and I had to come to terms with all of that in you know in a split second. Mm. Uh, fortunately for me, the guy wasn't. A suicide bomber. Mm. Um, I got him to, you know, lift his shirt off, put his pants down, all the rest of it to make sure there was nothing there. Mm. And that's not the thing that's traumatic. The thing that's traumatic was the decision-making process of whether or not to pull the trigger, right? Absolutely. Right, I know, Uh, yeah. (laughs) And it was just – and I yelled out, you know, stop or I'll shoot. And I think I might have even said stop or I'll shoot, you know, eight times, which is probably eight eight more times than I needed to say it. Yeah. Legally. You know, and that that really played on my mind. And I guess that's why I started getting such a hyper focus in training when I got back because then I started, you know, researching simunition and reality-based training. And I I think that there's so much value in that because I I think – If you you want to create killers, if you want to create killers, there is. Oh, I know this. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, uh, Mind you, you get hit with simunition enough times, you can – it can have the opposite effect, mate. People can – I've seen it myself where people get hit hard enough with simunition multiple times where they start to flinch at simunition and then you think to yourself, what's going to happen when that guy's getting real rounds shot at him? So it can work both ways. Is that a good thing? Because I was – what yeah, I hypothesized was that – I guess what I hypothesized was that had I been shot with simunition or experienced a, you know, a pain whilst doing this training – I could have come to terms with what my decision-making and, and what my own mortality was going to be prior to going over into a deployment setting where I had to make split-second decisions. And I think that that would have you know, created a better headspace for me because I would have been 
more confident and in control of of why and what I was why I was there and what I was doing. Right. So I'm um, I'm comparing apples and oranges a little bit. You wouldn't have got yourself in that position to start with. You would have been you'd have had more of a standoff. Where I'm talking about, you know, the national counterterrorism team, and we don't necessarily want people to know what it's like to be shot. We want we want them to saturate the stronghold, or however many hundred of them, you know, and to stand and deliver. So mm. you don't you can't not be running into the fray. So yeah, it's a it's a it's an interesting point that you make, and there's definite commanders have to think about the utility of that tool dependent on the task it at hand you know i had a i had a moment there we came off the national counterterrorism team straight to deployment to afghanistan my platoon so we went from in the kill house wearing black gas masks torches all that sort of good stuff straight into rolling through the hills of afghanistan the first firefight we had maybe because i'm smarter than the rest sorry boys I was on my I was on my guts looking up at my platoon standing in the classic CQB stance shooting. And I was like, what the get the you know, get down. You know, and they did after a bit when they realized that actually standing doesn't have the same effect as you know, run down, crawl, observe, aim, fire does in a, you know, bush setting. I guess they just went to what was uh, what was instinctive quickest part. Yeah, their instinct. Yeah. You know? Oh yeah, I've been I've been shot at before and and had an had an uh, an IA on my weapon. Um, had a magazine stoppage on my weapon for those that don't know what I'm talking about, and then gone for my secondary weapon, which is a pistol, which I wasn't even carrying because I'm so used to going through that drill of lower the main gun, pull out the pistol, double tap, go to a knee, you know, fix the stoppage, come back up, you know. But, yeah. but there was no one with me. It was just me and the signaler. The signaler's talking on the radio, and I'm like, oh, I don't have a pistol. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, no, no, no. You can, you, can, you can drill things into yourself that don't work. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's about being perfect training, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But training specific to the role that you're in, you know, and just, it's just so you don't beat yourself up over it. And I think I've actually messaged you about this before is in, in Somalia – in 1993, as a young, oh, go with 18 and a half, nearly 19, 19-year-old, 19 I had a, a guy put a weapon in my stomach and pull the trigger and the, the round didn't go off. And I couldn't get my weapon to shoot him because the style was longer than his, I think it was a Sten gun or something. And so ultimately I didn't shoot him, you know, and whatever happened to him later that night, well, during that, you know, we, it was physical. You know, he was we, he was bashed to an inch of his life trying to get that weapon off him while he was trying to re-cock it. It wasn't me doing the bashing. I was on the ground it, through all the, the fighting that was going on. And for years after that, I was like, oh, I didn't pull the trigger. I didn't have a chance to pull the trigger. I didn't kill that dude. I should have killed that dude. And then I went into Special Forces. Then we went to Timor. It never came up. Never even came into my mind. You know, we didn't have a chance in Timor to pull the trigger on people. Not my reconnaissance patrol anyway. But then in Afghanistan, rolling through Afghanistan the first time, the first time I fired my weapon was at shadows moving and shooting at you. you. We couldn't, you know. But I fired it. Didn't even think twice about that. But it takes a long time and a lot of training to get yourself past that point. Did you find that that was cathartic, that very point where you actually fired it? I don't think the two were ever linked again. I think, it, I think I'd moved past that in training somewhere and I can't, I can't identify where. 
but I definitely moved past that in training somewhere in commandos to the point where it didn't factor. Now, what you did, I've written a couple of times on Instagram and, and Facebook and the like about courageous restraint and about people who are not necessarily scared to pull the trigger, but their morality is there is a slight chance here, maybe a 10% chance that what I'm going to do now is going to murder someone, murder is a wrong word, kill someone who perhaps what I'm seeing isn't what it is. It's bloody quacking like a duck. It's got duck feet. It's got duck feathers, but perhaps it's a bloody cat or a swan or it's not a duck, but maybe there's a small chance. And so they don't pull the trigger. And I think that people, I mean, I'm sure there's people who have died by not pulling the trigger, but I'm also sure that we don't give accolades enough to people who do not pull the trigger. And, you know, using my experience again, I was chasing after, well, no, I surprised two guys, myself and my Echo, which is sort of like a Batman, you know, <laughs> the guy who makes your coffee and that, but he's much yeah. more important than that in your team. He's the fifth the fifth guy in your team and, you know, he does all the all the heavy lifting really when the platoon commander's doing other stuff. Well, him and I were just happened to be out one day, you know, doing a recce of something. So you take him as protection. It's like your scout. And this motorbike comes along with these two dudes on it, you know, yahooing each other, not realising we're there. And they get off the bike. There's no weapons or anything. We're, we're hiding near this old Hilux. And suddenly he pulls out a bloody Thryer, you know, sat phone. Now, you're not using a sat phone in Afghanistan a kilometre and a half away from the forward line of, you know, Australian SF, unless you're a Taliban, mm. talking to your mates. A farmer's not cruising around talking on a Thryer. You know? Yeah, it's a, uh, and, so, so, and, so it's a decent bit of equipment. And within the within the rules of armed conflict, you know, that's hostile intent. I know some people will disagree with this, but that's hostile intent. And legally, I can shoot that dude. I gave him a warning. He threw that Thariah 30 feet, if it was 100, over the wall. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and sunk to his knee. He, and he knew the drill. And I didn't shoot him. We, yeah, we got those guys and, and they went in for questioning and we recovered the thryer as well. But again, that's courageous restraint. Or is it? I don't know. I couldn't live with myself. It doesn't matter that, you know, it doesn't matter that I went, you know, with the platoon and we dismantled the spotter network up and down Chora Valley one, one. That's different. That's people coming up on a whole lot of different means. Anyway, I won't even go into that. But but yeah. when you're face-to-face with someone and they don't have a weapon and they're no threat to you physically, but they might be a threat to you, you know, existentially with that piece of equipment. If you are not there, but now he doesn't have that equipment, he's no longer a combatant in my mind. So that's courageous restraint. Same as what you did is like, I could deal with this now, save my life, but then you've got to live with that. You'd have made, you'd have made the right decision. Either way, you've made the right decision, but you should be awarded for courageous restraint in my mind. You know, there is a – I I still have conflicts, you know, because there's still the – Well, don't, Anthony. There's no need to, mate. No need. There's no need for you to be beating yourself up over this at all because in my mind, if if he showed intent, he was done, but there was no intent there. Well, I guess – one of the one of the positive things that actually came out of that situation that I really prided myself on was actually you know when when we had the guys over from the west is that when they started talking to to us about you know shooting and 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 physiological responses I found that quite cathartic because I I started recognizing all these things that had actually happened to my in myself and you, know, you over you know, and you overrode a couple of those things that would happen instinctively 
Yeah, to make and, the right uh, yep. It was incredible to listen to them. But then, you know, what I what I got out of that was a passion in training and instruct. And then I took that, you know, with my job, and and it was good because I could then lean on that that situation to mm. then guide others. Mm. Yeah, it's definitely a a bit of a turning point. But well, mate, you went through what you went through, and you're you know you wouldn't be the person you are today if you hadn't gone through it, mate. No, absolutely not. What do they say? Post traumatic growth. Post traumatic growth. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. And to override, you know, in a, in stress, to override the instinctive response, so the pro, the the primal brain to override it with a with a front. The Sympathetic nervous system, or something yeah. To over to override it and to actually think about what you're doing is, you know, like that pilot that that landed on the Hudson River, for instance. You know, he had to override stress to remain calm to make decisions. If he had have stressed and made instantaneous decisions, that'd have been the wrong decisions. And sort of similar in a similar way, in a micro way, you had to do that. Mm. Yeah. Good. Now, your career's done. You're, <laughs> you're officially out. Yep. <laughs> Officially, yeah. Any regrets? My only regrets would be not taking a more serious approach to my training, I think, prior. Uh, but, I, you know, it's a it's – a, I think the thing with military training is uh, – well, especially within the conventional, I can't speak to the, the special forces, but it's almost like you're playing touch football for a rugby union game, but you don't really – you don't realise it until you actually go in overseas. You know, I, I, I wish that I'd put a, a lot more training – into myself and develop myself. And I wish I developed my confidence that I probably saw in my final four years, a couple of years earlier. And that would have, you know, I would have been able to develop the troops a lot better. That is, that's my only regret. You know, there's, and that's not really too much of a regret. That's, I guess that's a, that's the gift of hindsight. Mm. I had a great career. I had, I had many experiences, plenty of deployments. And I was very fortunate to be in command of troops for, Mm. for the majority of my career. And Air Force for, Anyone who's listening out there, you know, you'd, you'd sell that, right? It's a great thing for a kid to do, leaving school, you know, go, go Absolutely. And, yeah. Absolutely. I was probably going off the rails a little bit towards the end of high school. You know, I guess, I was, you know, like a lot of kids do, they, they push their limits. They, they want to see what, they, what those boundaries are. And I think the military was, a, was an incredible thing for, for me to get into because it, it put me straight onto those tracks. You know, it gave me structure. It gave me direction. I knew exactly what I was doing every day or over the next couple of weeks. And I think there was a lot of, there's a lot of things within a, uh, you know, a teenager's mind. Sometimes the values haven't been fully developed and going into the military, I had people that were bigger, badder and uglier than me really forcing values down my throat until, you know, I, I walked away a better man. Yeah. No, that's fair call. And you know, you, it's enforced discipline for a reason until you Absolutely. develop self-discipline and then you yourself have probably been more disciplined in recent years, haven't you? Yeah, so I think so, yeah. And what do you attribute that to? I don't know, probably having a girlfriend. <laughs> That's about it. Yeah. What's the next project? Are you allowed to talk about it yet? Yeah, you know, I, I, can, I can probably – Give a give a fair fair idea. So not that there's uh, going to the be next... anything left for you and me to do when skilled athlete bloody runs the world. <laughs> they're doing great, uh, they? and yeah. those lads are good they, bunch of dudes. Go, you know, really high class characters as well. Mm-hmm. Um, great blokes. Yeah, I think uh, for my next project, uh, I, I alluded to it before, is that I really want to have a, a lifestyle. Uh, one of the things that's that I I think I did really well in my career is I developed 
I developed my troops and, and I guess through the, the compassion and, and also straight shooting approach is that I got a lot of people onto a better path, you know, whether it was career, yeah. mental health. And I think towards the end of the career, mental health really started, sh- or, you know, or mental resilience really started shining its light. You know, I lost a, a number of friends through through suicide, and I think that really prompted me to to look at the gaps of how we can improve that. My partner and I decided that we're going to try and start a uh, a wellness center. Now, I say wellness center lightly because I know it sounds quite airy fairy. We still have to try and get the terminology to it. It's basically going to be a place that people can come to and walk away better. It's yeah. putting those. It's putting those those that routine although all those activities in place so so stressed people can walk away a level head rehab for stressed people more or less yeah, yeah that's pretty cool yeah i like that and i i think that we'll do really well out of that not because of mm. the business itself but because of the background that i bring to it and yeah. my partner will bring to it yeah uh, is that you know through my own mental health and and through my friend's mental health, you know, I get it. I understand it. And and I and I think that I'm gonna be the perfect person to uh to, to put those things in place before they need to go see psychologists or psychiatrists. Where, Obviously that's outside of my realm, but yeah. uh where try are you gonna, there before then. Whereabouts will, will this be located, Anthony? So we're gonna do it in Sydney. Okay. So growth market there. Yeah, so Sydney, uh, you know, obviously you've got a lot of lot of business people, but you've also got a number of military bases there. It'll be a great thing to do for for veterans, and there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of people there that uh, that will get a real benefit out of. That's fantastic! Oh, I wish you all the best for that. That'll be good, mate. Yeah. Planning for your next trip. Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.